and we're back welcome once again to tales from the page at paizocon online 2021 where members of the no direction network get to talk to paizo staff about the cool things that are coming out for the pathfinder role-playing game for starfinder pathfinder in this case i am from no direction i'm ryan costello and i'm jefferson j thacker also known as bam and we are joined by pathfinder developer patrick reedy to talk about fist of the ruby phoenix the adventure path that's out completely in a couple of weeks and uh, possibly <laughs> we were told by eric mona we should also be grilling you about quests for the frozen flame adventure path all right yeah bring it on thanks for having me all right so if you are watching us live feel free to ask any questions about the fist of the ruby phoenix tournament or quests of the frozen flame adventure path but first uh yeah fist of the ruby phoenix i'm just excited it's not a question it's just an exclamation point yeah, yeah, I, it was a it was a blast to work on. It's it's such a it's such a cool thing to like play in such a it feels like a hallowed space. You know, this whole Haujin storyline. Like there was a whole PFS arc about her and and the Haujin tapestry. You know, she's got this big entry in Lost Omens Legends. Um, it's it's really cool to play with such a prominent character in the Pathfinder canon. And now, I like oh, the ahead, Ruby bro. Phoenix as we saw it last time but it really seemed like it got its most of its grandeur because it tied into the pfs season and that helped build up the grandeur so that when the module hit ended with more weight than its page count was able to deliver it's interesting that it's being delivered now as a full a well as a full ap full being three part and uh i know it's stand on its own right is do you think that this is making a a better ruby phoenix than we've ruby phoenix before you know as far as ruby phoenixing of the past and ruby phoenixing of today i would say it's definitely a more full it's definitely like a richer more expansive experience because the original ruby phoenix module when it all started that was 32 pages um now with the, the Fist of the Ruby Phoenix AP, it's almost 300 pages. So we're looking at 10 times the amount of Ruby Phoenixing. Um, uh, and I think just in terms of sheer sheer volume, uh, sorry, a cat just hopped on my lap. Um, the uh, ever, uh, internet cat. Um, so uh, the, uh, and now she's away. Okay. Um, this is what people came to see. Uh, you know, as, as far as, uh, yeah, the amount of Ruby Phoenix, there's 10 times the bird here. Um, so, you know, you're going to have 10 times the feast. It's going to be 10 times the fun. Um, I think people are going to get a hoot out of this. There's, there's so many fights. There's so many characters. I didn't even mention like in the, in the last thing, like there's a, a whole bunch of sponsors that you, that you have to impress in Goka for, you know, tournament for the tournament to, to get a tournament sponsor. So that's like 10 more characters. Um, you know it's just a there's so many locations and it's such a rich um it's a rich tapestry as it were uh, uh of an ap i think it i think it turned out awesome and um you know it's interesting that's only three parts because yeah a normal a normal ap is six parts but um you know this this allowed us to keep the story really tight not have you know three three uh volumes where you're like training or whatever for the for the tournament you know this way it, it focused on the tournament itself and then um and, and a little bit on either side and the world around it and uh kept it tight but also like gave us a ton of room to play with and uh, i think people are gonna have a hoot we have a question from no direction network's own vanessa hoskins she's saying are cheesy names for special moves required or optional 
And the reason I'm asking this question already from chat is because it does kind of highlight that there's definitely the chance for this to be a really wacky, silly adventure where it's all about a big fighting tournament. But is that the intent? Like, will that actually frustrate GMs and go against the main feel for what the uh, for how the adventure is written? Well, any any GM who's you know uh, ran more than one game knows that uh, frustration is the name of the game. Um, if you go in thinking your players are going to do one thing, um, you're gonna you're gonna be frustrated, right? So uh, uh, you know all that to say, you can never tell. Um, my intention, uh, you know, for this was it was kind of to create this playground, kind of create this choose your own choose your own tournament because there's so many different types of um, you know, media inspiration to draw from. There's like gritty, you know, uh, uh, video gamey tournaments where it's just, you know, um, super, you know, uh, you know, I'm an ex army officer who's avenging my, you know, my, uh, you know, ex partner, uh, from the last tournament, blah, blah, blah. You can do that. Sure. That's awesome. Um, uh, there's, you know, my personal favorite example is always Dragon Ball Z. There was a huge arc and, you know, that was a formidable part of my, a formidable and a formative part of my childhood. Um, you know, just, and that's in the goofier realm where it's just like, okay, you know, how could they make this tournament any, any cheesier? Um, and there's all sorts of things in between, um, with the player's guide. It's funny. It's so funny that Vanessa asks about, uh, uh cheesy names for moves. Um, the player's guide gives you a whole, uh, uh, table, uh, uh like eight tables for how to build your fighting team so the the whole point of this I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like random table generators so uh this 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 system as it were allows you to flavorfully come up with your team's shtick um so or or theme you know so it, it helps you come up with like where you all came from where you all met um uh, you know what you're fighting for uh who you might know um, and one of those things is is quirks, and it's a D20 table, and, uh, you know, that is like, here's your team's quirks. Um, maybe you're all afraid of the color green, you know, uh, <laughs> something totally weird like that. And, like, you know, uh, if, if you see it on the other team, then you're paralyzed with fear or whatever, you know. And, and, it, and it doesn't have to have a game ramifications, it's of course, for, for fun and help you get into the world but one of those is you come up with increasingly ridiculous names for your moves uh you know this oh my ultimate fist buster deluxe and stuff like that um i think this ap definitely enables that kind of silliness if that's what you want to go with um i think if you want to have a more serious game you know as i mentioned in the the panel there's plenty of examples of other teams that are taking this really serious these are hardcore guys from you know viking lands who are uh you know they're killing linorms in their spare time um this you know this this kind of thing is serious business to them and so you could play it that way if you want um uh, uh it could really go either way uh i think yeah are those fighting uh, the the fighting team building charts? Are those for a session zero, or is that part of the first act that's of like the first part of the, part of the session? That's session zero, yeah. So it, it's part of the player's guide, which helps you. It, it was a weird balance to strike, right? Because you you can either since the AP starts at eleventh level, you can either make a new character at eleventh level, and and there's guidelines in the core rulebook and in the player's guide for how to do that, um, or you can take a character from a previous campaign or an ongoing campaign like Abomination Vaults, and you can continue using that character. And so the um, the team building 
tables in the player's guide help you, you know, firm that up. You can either roll randomly or choose just from the table of ideas and 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 work with your players at the table to come up with a cool team concept. Um, and of course, that's all optional, right? Like, uh, as anyone who's played, uh, you know, a certain Pokemon game uh, will know, you know, uh, it helps to have, you shouldn't be a team. It might be easier if you weren't a team of all evocation wizards or all illusion wizards. I mean, evocation wizards, you'd probably be set. But, uh, you know, if you're all diviners, it's a funny gimmick, but uh, it might make for a tough fight. Um, you know, so there's something to be said for we're the team that's varied and actually has a good strategy. Um, but, uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, that was that was a weird needle of thread in that player's guide is like, how do you write a player's guide for people who are playing at 11th level? Um, but, you know, that it includes everything for if you're starting with new characters or if you're starting with old characters, um, whatever you want to do. You know, as I said before, it's we really strove to make this feel like a playground in a lot of ways, this tournament. It's funny that you went all evokers with your example, because I feel like if I, I were know. to GM this, I'd have to sit down with my group and say, you can't all be monks. <laughs> I, I mean and that's and that's definitely like one of the things about all these fighting teams that you face off against right that this huge cast of characters and there's all these different teams that reoccur through every volume because you know it, it's a tournament so if you beat them in the first fight they might go to the losers bracket and come back and you might fight them later um you know it's it's a small town as it were even though it's a huge town uh but <laughs> You know, it's a, it's a, uh, you, you meet all these characters and you meet them again. And, and I think that's one of the coolest things is you're, you're kind of traveling around, but you're, you're rooted in these characters and their stories. Um, and, and those teams are like one of them, I think, it, yeah, one of them is a team of monks and like they're all, uh, they all like specialize in a different stance or something like that, right? And they all wear a different color. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's kind of cool and, and it might give you inspiration. And like, how cool would that be if, if you're jamming a game or you're playing in a game and it's like you say with your fellow players, you're like, oh, we should all be monks. We should all wear different colors and all do different stances. And then you meet this other team that they, that's the exact same thing. And you're like, Oh, oh, it's on now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> new plan, heavy armor, swords. <laughs> uh, you were talking about so the loser's what? bracket. How hard will it be for GMs to be running the rest of the tournament behind the scenes? And are there any players' aids or GM aids that will uh, make that easier for them? There's definitely uh, aids, and, and that was part of like figuring out how this double elimination bracket works. Because, you know, I say I keep saying it's a playground. We're trying to create this like open open world experience, open, you know, sandboxy experience where anything could happen. And no two games are like that. Said we do need a story. You know, it's nice to have a story. Uh, so you know, there are some beats basically that, and and it's all kind of laid out in a. There's a really nice graphic in in the second volume that shows the. Um, the tournament bracket and it fills in the parts that are scripted as it were you know nothing scripted you can change it uh make it your game but predetermined it, results in a tournament i know right mm, uh, yeah <laughs> so uh that that's there if the gm wants to use it to to help you not have to figure out like oh gosh which of these two teams that the the pcs are watching is going to win um so so yeah there are definitely a uh you know accessories and, and stuff built into the text to help you not have to uh think so hard about that for instance now what sort of um 
uh, material is going to be uh, provided or encouraged by the adventure path to statistically tie in the players together? Like, are there going to be, um, besides the backgrounds, are there going to be like, you know, this looks really great if everybody has the duelist archetype or et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yeah. Good question, Param. Um, uh, there are a couple items that you get that are part of this, uh, adventure path. Um, uh, early on, uh, uh, it was in the first volume. So, like, there's uh, you get this Ruby Phoenix necklace, and um, that helps your party. Basically, it's kind of like a, a do-over if you have a whoopsie and die, uh, or or something like that. You know, in the middle of the jungle <laughs> during the pre-qualifier, be a short AP. Uh, so, you know, there's there's this whoopsie necklace that uh, basically you know resurrects you one time, and uh, uh, and. But if, if everyone, you know, returns with that intact or whatever, I mean, that's good, presumably, you know, uh, uh, throughout the whole first volume. So it's, it's kind of like it behooves you to not, to, to not jump off a cliff just to see how it works, um, you know, because then it's done. Uh, so there, you know, to your question, though, are there items or are there archetypes or feats that, uh, that help tie the players' abilities into one another? Um, that's kind of so baked into the Pathfinder game, like finding these cool combinations and, and developing these strategies that uh, while developing this AP, you know, I felt like it was almost like the, that work was already done. Like the AP is basically, um, it, it rewards players who have thought of those things who are like, oh, if we take, if I take this feat and you take this barbarian feat, then, you know, and I'm an alchemist, then we can like totally mess up, mess things up. Um, that's great because there's some hard fights in here and uh you know having good strategy will help you win those fights um so you know that that it kind of plays into pathfinders already very mechanical like uh swapping out you know the gears and swapping out all the different uh, uh modular parts of the game um it really plays off of that I feel like we didn't have to invent new things, and it was so hard to like imagine like okay here's a new here's a new monk you know stance or whatever here's a new thing that works uh if you have four monks on your team because it's like well uh, most players are probably not going to do that i mean maybe um so, <laughs> so we tried to build up the options so that there were plenty of options for if you had a varied team or whatever um you know there's there's options for spellcasters there's options for monks there's options for uh fighters you know so it, it builds up and, and continues the very like foundational aspect of pathfinder which is like find the winning combination trdg11 has an interesting comment about watching the other competitors fights is can you scout your competition Yes, but you can't bet on them. Um, that was something we we built in, yeah. Because in Goka, like betting is a huge part of the the whole thing. But uh, but it seems like it there might be foul play if uh, 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 you know. I said yep, and then I'm like, why did we take that out? Yeah, that was definitely something we considered at anyway, and and it's definitely taken care of. Um, there's definitely like safeguards in place so that you can't like get an unfair advantage. I remember what it is now. Um, there's exhibition fights before the tournament. And so uh, it's like an exhibition showcase. And so basically that's like show off your cool moves, fight this monster in front of all the judges. Like, you know, this doesn't really count toward the tournament, but it, it you know, it determines your seed more or less, or like it determines like uh, your betting rank and that kind of thing. Um, so, so you want it to be good. So people bet on you and, and 
you get maybe you get a cut of that money or something. But uh, you know, at that exhibition showcase, you get to see what your what your what your rival teams are capable of. So yeah, there's definitely like an opportunity to do that. Um, it's kind of like up to the GM if if they want to like show exactly how every ability works. There might be some players and team and and uh, parties that are like so into that, and they're like, yeah, I want to know exactly how many you know how big is this cone that this guy can cast. And it's like, well, if you can see that, sure. Um, you also don't have to, you know. Um, it's not built with that assumption in mind, but it's definitely an option. Meta game knowledge now, becomes part of the plot. I mean, yeah, that's a <laughs> tournament, right? <laughs> so your traditional uh, adventure path is usually like you know a series of events and encounters uh, strung together in in more or less a branching or or, or straight line. Um, how much is this going to be? a different experience to run as a game master or uh, like how much is this going to be a traditional adventure versus a machine that is that is moving parts mm -hmm. like how much of it is a sandbox versus how much of it is like a railroad or something you know that's got bad connotation <laughs> but uh, yeah i think i know what you're saying yeah uh well you know as i alluded to a little bit earlier you know there's there is a plot there's a story it's it's kind of uh it's definitely related to how jin because she's back and guess what when you're a super powerful sorcerer who's been traveling the cosmos for 300 years you got some baggage you made some enemies you know and maybe they don't want the tournament to go all according to plan maybe they have some big reptilian friends that they want to send in you know mess <laughs> things up you know i'm just saying these are ideas so uh there there is a plot and and i think it's made a little easier for the gm if you're into the plot and you want to stick to that it's made easier in some ways because it's since it's a tournament and it's structured it's like okay the preliminary round is three days and and i love talking about this because i can talk about this and not be afraid of spoilers because in a in a tournament in true tournament format you know the rules before you're going to play so these little rules are all laid out at the beginning the the pre-qualifier is three days and uh you have you know, those three days to get 10 silver feathers. And, and if you get those feathers, you qualify for the tournament. And then the tournament itself is, you know, a week and change long or whatever. Um, it kind of depends on how the fights work out exactly. But, uh, you know, each day is structured so that there's, you know, a main fight and an exhibition fight or some combination of those two. And um, uh, 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 so it, it really does provide a, a railroad or a foundational, like, a line, you know, a linear line that a, a linear line that a GM can follow um, if they really want. Uh, but it also, it's kind of like every stop on the railroad has so many like branches and it can totally just like weave in and out. Um, you know, will you get from point A to C by the end of the adventure path? Hopefully, you know, I mean, yeah, there's probably not a good way to avoid that. Um, other than doing the typical, you know, party thing and hanging out at the bar the whole time or whatever, making friends with the bartender who the, the GM has to design on the spot. Um, you know, that'll always happen. But if you follow the adventure path, yeah, you'll have a story. You'll have a linear story if you want. You'll also have a ton of sandbox stuff to just to, to make it your own. I really do think that no two games of this, this AP will be exactly like if there's a GM that just wants to run a tournament and uh, doesn't want the plot, in theory, it could happen. Uh, where Easily. is the tournament yeah. within the three volumes? It's in the second volume. Yeah, Ready Fight is the the tournament itself. But there are, you know, each volume is uh, has its own little like, 
you know, it's all part of a big, a big tournament, right? So in true, you know, I keep leaning on Dragon Ball Z because I've only seen one show in my entire life, apparently, and it was Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in true that format, it's like, oh, you, you know, you, you have, you've got to get to the tournament, but there's a pre-qualifier, which is also a tournament, you know, and it's like, oh, you beat the tournament. There's maybe there's more tournament, you know, or something like that. So uh, if you really just want like one tournament, if you want like one module that it's like this is the tournament module, then the second one is going to really scratch that itch. Um, that said, if you get all three, then you'll have like different kinds of tournaments to play into, and it really does create this cohesive story out of a tournament, which is it's kind of crazy. I don't know, it's kind of a weird feat to pull off. Is like let's make it a tournament, but it's also got to be a story, you know. Now, we lovingly poke fun that during an adventure path, your average party goes from level one to 20 within, you know, a, a few months or a year. Um, this is literally an adventure path where they're going to show up at 10 and a week later, they're 20. Like, are oh, yeah. you playing to that with the tropes of the genre? I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it uh, it's the funny, that's the funny thing about math and, and Pathfinder, I think. And um that said it's not exactly a week so like the island stuff that happens in the first volume you know the pre-qualifier it happens uh, a while before the second volume because you know everyone's got to get from minata which is on the it's like on the other side of tian sha from goka like they're at opposite sides of the map and so you you have some time on the boat to like level up and you know you got like a month or whatever if you take a boat or you can teleport whatever and hang out in goka for a month um you know you have time so uh, i think it doesn't stretch the credulity in that way i think you can you can definitely but that said during the tournament yeah you do gain a couple levels over the course of a week um you know i i don't know i don't know what to say about that other than like uh uh you know some some uh you grow a lot when there's when the stakes are high and when when fascinating things happen right so so it does make sense in that way that's like oh we've been fighting for our lives every day for the past week yeah i think we learned a couple lessons along the way and friendship was one of them <laughs> but we're not sore or anything it's great <laughs> yeah i mean there's a great yeah there's a hot tub in the in the you know the, the Olympic <laughs> village kind of thing yeah <laughs> I was just wondering if that maybe there was like, you know, a, 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 a skill challenge portion where everybody screams really loud till their hair changes color. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't directly put in super Saiyan levels into the AP, but I'm massively regretting that now, Param. That's a golden idea. And I think we need to make another AP pronto. That's the super Saiyan yeah, we, AP. <laughs> we've danced around this. What are like the big inspiration uh, stories, medias, and stuff. Like, if it was like, watch these five pieces of content before playing this AP, what would they be? I'd, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, for me, you know, and it's and, and that's kind of the best part about working on such a, a team like Paizo is everyone comes from different walks of life and has different inspirations. You know, I'll mention something to uh, James Jacobs, who's, uh, you know, also has developed tons of APs, and he'll be like, oh, you should definitely check out this movie and this movie and this one. And, uh, you know, or uh, I'll talk to James Case, and, and he's got all sorts of uh, uh, different touchstones to, to touch on. Um, but for me personally, you know, I think uh, uh, you can definitely see the inspirations 
doesn't even take a very careful reading because uh, the Isle of Bonmu at the very beginning is very reminiscent to an island that uh, the island in the movie Battle Royale, which was a great Japanese 1999, I think it came out, um, uh, the kind of the original Hunger Games in a lot of ways, right? Where it's like all the worst kids from high school get sent to this island and they have to duke it out and only only one can win. Um, it's a crazy story. And uh, uh, so that was definitely an inspiration. Definitely toned it down because that movie's a little wild. Um, you know, not a family-friendly movie, I would say, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a hoot. Uh, Dragon Ball Z mentioned that one, classic. Uh, I mentioned that one a lot because it has such a, a distinctive tournament arc. Like there's there's a world tournament, and it's got a flat arena, and aliens come and mess it up. And it's it's uh, it was just a really easy way to. It, it was like really helpful for me to be like, how do you make a story out of you know a tournament? Like, uh, and I keep saying that, and it's it seems difficult because it's like, well. A tournament in real life, like hopefully it goes according to plan. You usually want, you know, your March Madness bracket to not end with kaiju attack at the end, um, because I don't think anyone put money on that, um, you know. But but in fiction, you have to make a story around this this thing. And so other other tournament based games, you know, I think of like Street Fighter and um, video games like that. Uh, uh, that uh, you know, Mortal Kombat, obviously, but um, didn't you know? Other than the tournament-style bracket, there you know, uh, I don't think there was a ton to draw from that. I do think like the Mortal Kombat movie. I remember as a kid, like it, it definitely like helped cement that every fighter has their own grudge to bear and their own reason to fight. And uh, and I really liked that angle. It's like, uh, why are you here for the money? No, no, I'm here because I'm avenging my like long-lost brother or something like that. And it's like, whoa, okay, it's high stakes. Uh, so you know kind of wielding that story around um it was helpful to look at franchises like that um trying to think of other other inspiration i'm sure i'll think of them as uh, you know there were a bunch but uh uh yeah those oh i know another one and this is uh more embarrassing than dbz but uh a little show called Yu-Gi-Oh, which uh was also a uh formative part of my childhood a little bit i bought a deck or two of Yu-Gi-Oh cards um and there's a, it's a it's got this great anime and manga and like they have a couple tournaments in it but they're they're card tournaments right and so um you know, they have all sorts of silly gimmicks in them, though, where it's just super dramatic, super over the top, and uh, uh, feels like super high stakes. And then you zoom out a little bit, and you're like, we're playing a children's card game. Uh, you know, people are getting trapped in the Shadowverse, but it's still a card game. Um, you know, so I kind of approached it from that angle. It's just like, this is a fun this is a fun tournament. You know, it's not meant to be, like, life or death. Like, you know, how Jim didn't want to do a tournament where people like died all the time like that's not a very fun tournament I, I don't know i don't think anyone wants that as part of their legacy it's like you know 500 people have died in this tournament because of how Jin. it's like kind of i don't want to put that on my tombstone um you know but so it's it's a fun tournament um and i think that's kind of the way i'm you know if i i hope people enjoy it i don't i don't care i don't care how you play it as long as you enjoy it right but if i were to enjoy it i would enjoy it as a very lighthearted, very like uh, you know, not silly, but over the top, I think, you know, like everything I, you know, in Pathfinder that I do, it's over the top. If, if you played Agents of Edgewatch, uh, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of like action movies and action tropes and stuff like that. And, um, uh, uh, yeah, I just think it's fun to, to go big, you know, go big or go home, go big and stay home. <laughs> What's funny was watching chat with every time you would bring up a new pop culture inspiration, like people would fill the chat with references, but the 
people, like the specific people that were talking, shifted with each one. So it's like this is a a topic that appeals to people all because they've got this one thing that related to, they relate to it, but it's not the same thing for everybody. You're going to end up with a group with Goku, Pikachu, Johnny Cage, and The Undertaker in it. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, wrestling for sure. I love like those crazy wrestling like meta plots that they have. Um, you know, like I, I, you know, like The Rock. There's, you know, uh, he got his start wrestling, and and he was like the baby face, and he was always getting whooped up on until the end when he would heroically like defeat the the heels. Uh, yeah, wrestling definitely played a big part in that in the the melodrama aspect of of the AP. I mean, I mean, it's really it goes all over the place. I mean, there's a version of this that the Mighty Ducks show up if you really want it to. It, I think that mm-hmm. we ha- we live in a society where we do these tournaments as a way to express dramatic conflict because you know we all don't want to go to war and because that would be bad. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's yeah, absolutely. It, it it's a way to condense the the stakes of life, which I'm gonna get really deep here for one minute but you know like you look at life as a line from birth until like the end of it and you're like how do i encapsulate how do i tell a story about this life that makes sense so it's not just a series of meaningless random events and a tournament codifies that right you have uh seeds on either side that you can be like oh this is uh you know like numbers and and i can look at these teams and be like oh well um because it has this player on it like their you know jump shot average is this blah blah blah. helps you like contextualize and think of these big stakes like you know going to war or going to um you know doing these grand adventures it helps put it in a way that feels safer more removed um from like reality and and a bit more just um lighthearted it's why we all play games right same reason we do tournaments is because we want to tell a story with winners and losers and good guys and bad guys and um you know, heroes and villains and that and that kind of stuff. Um, and a tournament facilitates that in a in a really neat, tidy package. You know, day by day, it's 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 laid out so that you can just follow the follow the track, and you've got a, a great story by the end of it. I also like how you're you're able to feature the other competitors and, and talk about like the the rivals and the people they'll get to know. Where as in most adventures, like we might see a reoccurring villain or two, but most of the time when you show up to an encounter, that's the first and last time you're going to see Cobalt Hitchman number four. Mm-hmm, totally, and and that's one of the best. Like that's one of the, the the greatest parts about like this KO format, right? It's like, yeah, you fight till everyone's knocked out, but they're still alive. Yeah, you, like I said, you're gonna see them in. Uh, it's called Ruby Village. It's kind of like the Olympic Village, you know. Like uh, at the Olympics, there's always this like cool hotel or spa or whatever where everyone hangs out, all the athletes hang out, and it's kind of like that. You know, there's a shopping center and stuff like that. Uh, you get your own little house, and you're all right next to each other in this little neighborhood. So it's kind of like if you have a really nasty fight where you kick dirt in somebody's eyes and and you're like haha i just blinded all of you with this you know super powerful color spray spell and uh yeah i'm gonna knock you off the tower and and rub your faces in it and it's like see you at dinner uh, you know <laughs> it, it creates like really really cool role-playing opportunities that uh that you don't yeah i agree you don't see in a lot of adventure paths because so much of them are like oh you gotta take this person out and you oh you killed the monster thank goodness the monster's gone um you know, there's there's a lot. There's fewer monsters. There's more people and more stories, which is cool. Now, is can't there a good players reacting play. to being told they can't just kill the one they hate? 
I mean, <laughs> there's nothing stopping you is the thing. And and like I alluded to earlier, there there might be a team or two that that's kind of their MO too. And, uh, you know, so I don't want it to sound like there are no stakes. Like there's definitely a team or two that's like, oops, my sword fell on the, on the knockout <laughs> one, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, there's definitely like teams that aren't afraid, afraid to play dirty. And uh, I don't, and, you know, if the players don't want to, if they want to play dirty too, I think they should. I think that's, that'd be a hoot too, because guess what? Uh, you're still going to have to see the other teams who just saw that fight. They're going to be like, man, what did you do? You just did that to Jerry? You just cut his head off, like, at the end of that fight. What, what were you thinking? You know? And it's like, well, yeah, that's going to create a crazy story. Um, I don't know. Not Jerry. So is there going, is there going to be a, a, a good amount of content designed for that 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 village part, the after after the, the actual tournament battle parts where, like, are you going to explore what life is like when we're not punching each other? <laughs> it's um because the whole second volume is set in goka which is this huge city you could set campaign after campaign there it's just like absalom and that it's it's massive you know it's a huge city um you you do have multiple opportunities and there are events and all sorts of stuff yeah built in baked into the adventure that take you outside of the arena um usually after hours and and stuff like that and that actually was for practical reasons as well as it was for a lot of practical reasons too because for pacing for one thing like mentioned earlier you don't want a bunch of fights all in a row like that just starts to feel a little samey little like every you know you want them to be have stuff in between so that they feel more special and so so we introduce events that are kind of like oh here's an npc encounter where um you know, it's not a fight, it's a skill challenge, or it's like, just, just figure out how to, how to help them. Like I mentioned these sponsors uh, earlier. And so there's, they're basically kind of the, they're not the judges, but they're the uh, kind of the judges. Um, Haojin is the judge, but they're the, they're her friends. Um, and you want to impress Haojin's friends because, you know, it's good to be friends with the judge's friends. And uh, the, uh, uh, so there's there's these two of them that had like a falling out a number of years ago and you stumble upon them uh yvonne mentioned uh shaylin's comb which is this beautiful like bas basalt column uh kind of uh place on the the shores of goka you know uh you take your date there and have a picnic and it's this beautiful lookout point and you stumble over there for some reason after a fight one day and uh and yeah you meet and you see two of the sponsors and it's like oh you're here didn't expect oh no you know it's like uh, we had that falling out years ago and you're kind of in the middle of it and you're like huh uh we could just not do anything which is probably good or if we could like try and resolve this you know little subplot this tie this story between these two characters uh and and help them i don't know make make up basically uh you know and it's and it's little event there's like a bunch of those like it's little events like that that i think will be as memorable as the fights themselves because in the fight you'll be like it'll be really intense you know oh critical hit critical miss you know always intense when you have a pathfinder fight but like there will also be these interactions that contextualize the fighters and the people around the tournament outside of the the tournament itself and i think that's important because it makes the fights feel more important don't want to not i don't want to run out of time and not cover quest for the frozen flame oh. because uh, Lauren from the KD Con team would never forgive me. So uh, <laughs> we just have a bunch of questions from Lauren, then we'll open it up to anyone else. 
I'll, I'll throw them at you. First, she wants the Frozen Flame Elevator Pitch. She wants to know if there will be a Fusroda Focus Spell. In all caps, she wants to know if there will be Long Chips. And then, in all caps and a lot of exclamation points, she just says, Rating? Ooh, well, uh, I will give the Elevator Pitch for a request of a Frozen Flame. Um, I'm very excited about this. This is the next adventure path after Strength of Thousands. 99% sure. I don't have, you know, his, the schedule's not in front of me, but, uh, you know, I'm working on it right now, basically. And uh, it's the, uh, it's a three-part adventure path, just like Quest, or just like uh, Fist of the Ruby Phoenix, just like Abomination Vaults. Um, this one will take you from level one to ten, and it's set in the realm of the Mammoth Lords, which is our, um, you know, that's where a lot of uh, uh, nomadic Kelid uh, followings kind of live. And so these are nomadic hunter-gatherers who um, follow herds across the tundra with the shifting seasons. And so you are basically members of this following that's that's seen better days and uh and you're you you know you you fall for better or worse uh into a position of authority in that in that following and you need to guide them to safety. So the basic pitch is that war is on the horizon. Uh, a rival following ha is beating their war drum, and they're they're not they're not there to make friends. And so you've got to get away and strengthen your following. You have to recruit uh, megafauna like saber tooth tigers and uh, mammoths, of course, and and big bears. And uh, you know it's a very much like a, a living with the land. Um, I'm I keep calling it like the the cave person AP. Um, I one of my favorite movies ever is Quest for Fire, so that's like the touchstone, right? It's uh, and and it's all about getting this artifact, which is called the Primordial Flame. And so you're like, what's this artifact? It's some sort of torch, and uh, but it's really important. And and you're basically like going around hunting mammoths, uh, collecting more people for your for your burgeoning following, and looking for this this powerful um, primordial artifact, and. Uh, yeah, you know, action. So, well, we already I have a ton of questions from Polar Canada. bears and saber Sorry. Oh, I was saying. I so we get to red polar bears and saber tigers and mammoths. That's you know that's not not a thing. So <laughs> <laughs> tabletop obscura uh, specifically asks is asking for getting the mammoth rider back. Mammoth rider was an archetype in the first edition. Yeah, I remember that from Paths of Prestige. I uh, that was one of the first campaign setting books I developed way back in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, it wouldn't be a very good realm of the Mammoth Lords AP if there wasn't a Mammoth Lord archetype, right? So you can you can rest assured that we got you covered. Uh, Archaic language wants to know what levels this AP will run. It'll run from what, first through tenth, and the reason for that is because it's uh, uh, it's it's supposed to feel like a very I mean, Realm of Mammoth Lords is a is a, a low tech place for uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, it's it's a place where uh, Southern technology, like um, you know, like clockwork and stuff, isn't. It's not a thing really. It's like uh, a lot of barren landscapes, a lot of animals, uh, a lot of plants, um, and people wandering around trying to live in this this uh, really really brutal landscape where it's like cold a lot of the year and um you know if you're not getting attacked by a saber-toothed tiger then you're starving on the tundra you know wandering from a pond to pond uh so it's 
it was we wanted to make it like about survival and feel like that that like a desperate survival and it's just a lot easier to get that kind of tone when it's a lower level ap um you don't you don't have access to such powerful magic off, right off the bat for instance so you can't you know you can't just conjure food right out of thin air um which kind of kind of lessens the survival aspect so yeah first through tenth short answer but it's so a I'm getting a lot AP, of like right? it's a three-part ap oh okay mm -hmm. i'm getting a lot of like Sorry, go ahead, Param. You're I'm getting, getting a lot, lot of mythological. Sorry, it's just the lag of the internet <laughs> and how it works. Uh, but I'm getting a lot of like mythological, like death march, like Iliad vibes off of this thing. So, how much of this is going to be like the struggle of these people? Is that the focus, really? Uh, you know, that's a good way of putting it. It is a very, it, it's it's about a journey. It's, you know, uh, I chose the name Quest for the Frozen Flame pretty deliberately because it, it's supposed to be like the quest AP, you know, uh, you're going, you're walking from place to place because you're part of this following, you know, you can't just like pick up and leave. Um, when you're part of a party, adventuring party, you know, it's like, well, we got to stick together, but we can teleport four of us out of here and just go to the biggest city. Um, and it's like, you can't really do that because you've got a whole family and a bunch of mammoths to take care of. Um, and you can't just leave them in the middle of the tundra. So you're, you're literally trekking across the, the, the wasteland, not wasteland, you're trekking across the tundra. And um, I wouldn't call it, it's not a wasteland. It's like a beautiful place. I don't know. I want to hang out in the realm of the man floor. This sounds great. Uh, it reminds me a lot of like the Cascades and like uh, hiking in Washington, where, which is where I'm from. So kind of took a lot of inspiration from that. It's like backpacking. It's like, yeah, I'm going to sleep in a tent tonight and eat, you know, a really measly meal, but I'm going to find some awesome like uh, acorns on the ground tomorrow and eat those tomorrow. Definitely don't do that while backpacking. I do not condone eating strange acorns that you find on the ground, unless you know what you're doing. Um, in this AP, though, yeah, you'll be doing plenty of that, um, and, it, and it is very like it is very like hard scrabble, like uh, uh, like kind of the the it's like it's like getting through the seasons. Another aspect of this is like the seasonal thing. Um, you guys brought up earlier, like uh, uh, how funny it is that you know, like in Ruby Phoenix, you level up like four times over the course of a week. That's not going to happen in this AP. This AP is a totally different direction. It's It takes place over the course of seasons, and that's to show how the land changes from spring to summer to you know fall and winter and it's to show like the the environment how that affects it and how that affects your survival um, because how you survive in the summer is very different from how you survive in the winter and that's something we really wanted to hit on with this ap is is like all aspects of showing what a, what it's like to live in um you know in a really uh i don't know in in a pre-agriculture society yeah, that's how I'd put it. Mm -hmm. So it was, do you have any examples of what would be threatening to a, a, a following of awesome cave people that have mammoth pets? That's a good question. Um, well, it's, it, there are definitely mammoths in the following. Uh, it, it also turns out, though, that um, there were, we, mammoths went extinct because people were pretty good at hunting mammoths. So... 
people in general are pretty good, uh, pretty good predators. Um, that said, there's also other big animals. And one of the coolest things about Pathfinder and Galarian is that, uh, that we don't have to stick to, you know, the, the, uh, the earth, the, the way that it was here. There's dinosaurs here too, right? There's, there's uh brontosaurus walking around <laughs> and stuff. And if you want to see like a brontosaurus fight a mammoth, like this is your AP. Uh, so, you know, and if you want to be <laughs> on the back of one of those and you know, have your arch enemy on the back of another, this is your AP. Um, so it definitely feels like, uh, you know, um, what, what kinds of things can threaten that that society the other i mean angle of it is it's not just a society of like warriors right your your following is like mm -hmm. people hunters and gatherers they're people who just like you know i'm just trying to get by and uh you're the heroes you're the ones who who are going and doing the the hard stuff because you got you know you got uh you know and you got auntie and and kiddos back at, back in the following and you gotta make sure they're safe so um there's plenty out there that's like dangerous, and I and I think that's kind of like the a, a tonal part of the AP more than, you know, it's easy enough to throw like big dinosaurs and stuff at the the party. They're gonna they're gonna find plenty to challenge them, but it's like it's a tonal thing too. It's like this uh, uh, maintaining this very desperate like harsh reality, this harsh lifestyle that they live is kind of like part of the setting. Yeah, we have a bunch of questions still from chat, so I want to get through them. First one's yeah. not a question, but it's, I think it's hilarious. Xmas Baker is saying a caveman inventor with uh, his contraption is wheel. Ooh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chitra, you asked this a while ago, so I'm glad we finally got around to it. How much of the new magic rules from Secrets of Magic are used in Quest for the Frozen Flame, and how did it influence the flavor of the AP, if at all? It definitely did, and uh, if you if you go on, um, it's probably posted on the Paizo blog or, or somewhere. But uh, yeah, during the when when Eric revealed this AP, um, he should have revealed the the sketch for the the first cover, and uh, mm -hmm. that has the that has a, a pretty important villain on it, and um, she is an important villain because. In the realm of the Mammoth Lords, like magic is historically not really a, a thing that uh, these societies have used, and that's mainly just because um, they've they figured out how to live without it. You know, they don't need it, and uh, you know they're like, no, we don't we don't need magic. We know exactly what like roots and tubers are safe to eat, and where these animals are going to be at these certain times. Um, so it's very much like you know, it's it's just like pre agriculture societies in that way. They didn't need technology to to live and thrive, um, but if you do have magic and you happen to be the leader of a really big band of warriors, then you're going to be a really, uh, uh, you're going to strike quite an image. And um, uh, there's definitely some elements of uh, the Secrets of Magic book in this one. The uh, Another thing I can say is that the summoner is one of the iconics that will be appearing in the art throughout the book. Um, so that'll be because Sarkorian, uh, Sarkoris is up in that same relative region and God calling is a big part of their, their, uh, traditions, which, uh, is kind of summoning Eidolons and stuff like that. So it felt like a natural fit in that way. PRDG11 asks, will there be secrets revealed about the Mammoth Lords or the Mammoth Lord area? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, this is a really cool AP, I think, because we haven't said a whole ton about the realm of the mammoth lords. We've, we've delved into like Kellogg societies in other areas of the world, you know, and, and, um, 
but they're not the same in uh, 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 Mendev or um, Numeria, you know, is a big one. Uh, you know, in Iron Gods, you go to Numeria, and there's, of course, uh, lots of native Kelads there, and that's kind of like the whole, the whole uh, dynamic is technology versus um, Kelads. And uh, but in in the realm of the Mammothords, um, there's not there's not demons really, uh, like like you have with the World Wound. There's not a lot of technology. It's it's just you know, it's uh, it's pre-agrarian people like roaming the tundra doing their nomadic stuff and and we cover all sorts of like i really love like this kind of like history historical stuff in real in the real world like thinking about like what did people do before they had farms you know they walked around they like figured out which trees were safe to eat and stuff like that it's probably didn't eat trees you know but uh you know they yeah did all that stuff so so we get to explore a lot of like what that means in Galarian and what that means in the realm of the Manothords. Like they have different religious traditions, they have different um, cultural traditions, all sorts of stuff. And it, uh, there will definitely be plenty of secrets, plenty of like just flavor. If you're really interested in like um, I don't know, pre-agrarian societies and uh, and uh, Neanderthal kind of to to Homo sapien, um, that whole like bridge is is pretty interesting. If you're interested in that kind of history, then this is a good AP for you. That's that's part that's a mystery that you have to play the adventures to find out. <laughs> uh Kenner Kernunos uh says Oregon Trail the AP question mark, which is kind of related to is this the survival element going to be gamified? Um it's it's uh there is uh uh there, there are some aspects that are quantified. Um, the survival aspect, um, sort of, in that you're following. You, you use, it's going to use the leadership system from uh, the game mastery guide, and so you kind of keep track of your following. You can have a big old, big old Excel sheet, probably is how I do it, of your of exactly who's in your following at all times, and and uh, you don't have to do that if you don't want. That might not be everybody's style, but um, you know. By the by, at the beginning, you don't have a very big crew. By the end, you might have a really big crew, and uh, and and I think that element is kind of like the the gamified part of survival. It's like there might be aspects like got to get over this mountain pass. If we don't do it right, there's an avalanche. We lose a lot of our followers, and you see that number that's gamified, and that has ramifications on the story. It's like. You know, there's not anything like you need. You must have this many followers to pass go. But uh, you know, there's definitely like it definitely like impacts how people see you, right? If you roll in with uh, 50 mammoths, that looks a lot different than if you roll in with just three. You know, it's like whoops, lost the lost the last 47 at the pass. Um, doesn't look so good. So that element of the survival is played into it. Yeah. Is your do you rise through the ranks of your following? You definitely like start as uh, the unassuming, you know. Uh, you st the the players got to provide backgrounds, of course, and all that stuff. But you uh, you do start as like not top dogs by any means. You're first level, so you're kind of you're talented and strong. But um, you definitely like make a name for yourselves, and by the end of it, you know, you definitely people start to notice that uh, it's like, huh, the following has like ostensibly has these leaders over here, but this party of four uh, adventurers seems to be doing a lot of the work, uh, you know. So there's definitely some of that. 
And how do you define your following? Is it just like a generic following for everybody? Or will the player's guide have like specific following quirks and personalities? The, uh, the, the first volume has a really cool article in it that talks about your following. It's kind of, it's, it's not like Ruby Phoenix where it's like, you get to make your own following. I mean, there's plenty of room to do that. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, you're going to be having like dozens of people here. So you can definitely be like, oh yeah, I go over and talk to Bob. And it's like, uh, the GM is not going to be like, there's no Bob, you know, you can write it, Bob. Uh, but, uh, there's an awesome article in the first one that is going to talk about, um, uh, the following and its history and its and its traditions and the key players in it. Um, it's going to have a big cast uh, of characters, um, a bit like Ruby Phoenix in that like they're going to be traveling alongside you, so you're going to get to know these people really well and have frequent encounters and conversations with the same NPCs, um, and, and that's baked into the story uh, in such a way that yeah, you'll get to know these these NPCs as written pretty well. And finally, we're just about out of time, but I would just want to make sure we covered, will there be long ships and raiding? I know I, I think, asked it earlier. Uh, I know. I think, uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think someone may be thinking of the lands of the Linorm Kings, which um, the realm of the Mammoth Lords is a landlocked country. So I'm going to say you can homebrew it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need no boat. I got giant mammoth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hollow him out and take him out to sea. You can bring a boat. Yeah, you might be carrying it a fair distance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, I think it's about time we wrap things up, right? Uh, coming up next at 5 o'clock, so in like five minutes, we've got Secrets of Galarian, which Param, I know that you're super hyped about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's really if you're going to be into the lore, you're going to want to stay uh, tuned for that panel and know like it's a great time to ask why are the mammoth lords so great or or any other nuanced part of the world that you don't think has enough info. Great time to ask about it right there. And after that, we've got the Starfinder one shot band on the run featuring the Dragons and Things Network. That's at six p.m. Pacific, nine p.m. Eastern. And then that's it. That's it for day one of PaizoCon Online 2021. Patrick, does it feel like we're already basically done day one? I, you know, it, it always comes so fast, and I'm so excited for it. And then, and then it's almost the end of day one. I'm like, what happened? Where did my PaizoCon Right? Go? <laughs> uh, Param, anything you want people to know about before we sign off? I uh, just want you all to know that if you missed any of the panels, it's going to be available here on Pazo's official uh, Twitch, um, the uh, Pazo official, uh, sorry, official Pazo Twitch channel in the VODs. I know they're going to put it on YouTube. And of course, these recordings, the audio will be on NoDirectionPodcast.com as well as all the other PazoCons going way, way back. So that's it for No Direction until tomorrow morning at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. And coming up, Secrets of Galarian, the last panel of Pazagon Online 2021, day one.